Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Frozen Frenzy sports business podcast, The Sportacast. All right, Andy Tennant, ESPN, Vice President, Executive Producer, Original Content. We always grade Eben's intros. Um, frozen Frenzy, we, we go degree of difficulty, artistic impression. <laughs> we always like his enthusiasm. He scores highly on enthusiasm almost every week. The creativity and stuff, I'm not so sure. What, what do you think? Well, how did you like Eben's start there? Uh, listen, Eben's a table setter, so uh, we're ready to roll here. And we're, we're always ready to talk pucks at ESPN, so... Appreciate you guys having me on. Of course, of course. Anybody who knows me and knows the show, uh, my life is divided into two buckets. I have Sportico, which is my first full-time job. And then I have a son, 14 years old, second-year Bantam major with the Mid-Fairfield Rangers uh, that has me traveling every single weekend to parts. Just got back from Utica. Thank God we have a home weekend off to St. Louis. We've got the Exposure Cup in Boston. So you know about it. What, what do you, I mean, you know the pro side. What do you know about the youth sports side of travel hockey? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm about eight years behind you. My, my son is... Uh-oh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my oldest boy is six. Uh, he currently okay. plays uh, Might A1 Travel for the Wonderland Wizards in Bridgeport. The Wonderland Wizards. I love it. Right yeah. Playland. Uh, so Mid Fairfield uh, may or maybe not in his long term future. So congrats to you, Scott. That's a premier program. Um, and I guess I guess I should be asking the first question: like, what is Utica like this time of year? Well, I, I was singing I'll, Utica's <laughs> praises on the show no, earlier no, no, this no, week. Yeah, I will give you the highlight. When we pulled, very funny, we pulled in about eleven forty-five p.m. after practice. We drove up three and a half hours. And there was nobody on the street. My dad, my dad, my, my son says, dad, it's a little spooky. Like there's <laughs> nothing here. And I said, oh, you know, it's late, whatever. But I will tell you, and I did not see this coming, that they have a facility, the Nexus Center, that would rival anything. I mean, brand new, three Olympic sheets, bars, restaurants, pro shop. I could go in in my shorts and a t-shirt and be comfortable, climate control, a wonderful facility attached to the building that houses the Utica Comets, the the uh, AHL farm team, farm team for the uh, the Devils, of course. Yeah. Um, but I was, I mean, I was blown away by the facility. I think it's hosting the Women's World Championships coming up. 
So Utica as a youth hockey destination, thumbs up. So Andy, Scott Scott has always talked about youth hockey, youth sports in general, but youth hockey as a potential documentary topic yep, of some sure. sort. No, we, right. we need to talk. From, I got to show, I got a sizzle reel for you, Andy. Correct, from the parents. From the, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, no, it's very funny you say that. I, I, I'm not going to be specific because I don't want to get anybody embarrassed or whatever. But <laughs> if you're, I will say this, and I have a, I'm going to send you the sizzle reel, Andy. You're going to love it. Um, you have to include, if you're going to tell the full story of youth hockey, you got to tell it from the kids' perspectives, you got to tell it from the coaches' perspectives, and you, you absolutely have to show the insanity of the parents. I mean, you, you're hanging around six-year-olds. They are just as convinced at age six that their little Johnny's going to the NHL <laughs> as when it's 10, 12, 16. It's utter insanity. And the yelling at the refs, the pounding of the glass, the cursing. We've seen full-on fistfights where we've had to empty rinks and police were called because two parents just couldn't get along. Well, hockey fans are passionate. We know that. It's a very passionate niche audience. Um, but I think you're right, Scott. It's in, in the world of youth hockey, because it seems that there's so much at stake. You know, the NHL future, are that, those, that, those are like the real-life stakes we're talking about, that uh, each and every one of those uh, characters that you just mentioned, the, the, the player, the coach, the parent, even the officials. I mean, it is utter and complete insanity uh, because people are are looking at their child as, you know, they're going to be, you know, you say mid-Fairfield, the next Trevor Zegras. So if, if that's what's at stake here, you can imagine um, the emotional capacity. And it's actually, you marvel at the emotional capacity that these people have at, uh, at a freezing cold rink at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, right? So... Um, it is something that also, I think, you know, youth sports just in general have changed so much, you know, like when we were growing up playing sports, it was like, you could play one or two sports during a season. You could practice once or twice during the week and you'd have a game on the weekends. Now it's like at the age, like my son is, my oldest is six. It's like a full-time commitment. Like, you know, three or four practices. If he doesn't have three shooting coaches, four skating coaches, and 12 uh, sessions a week, he's got no chance to keep up with Johnny. It is a it is a billion-dollar business, and the investment for parents, both in terms of the financials and in terms of time, I, 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 I just, I, I'm just like, oh, my God, I didn't, what are we getting into? Like, what are we getting yep. into? Well, Eben, how many stars do you think I'm going to grade Andy here? I mean, throwing out a knowing Trevor Zegras as a mid field alum, yeah. <laughs> you know, Gary Zegras, as a matter of fact, addressed our team, I believe, was it last, a week ago, yep. it was Gary and Ryan Haggerty who run the program, yep. talking about prep schools, and you're going to hear a lot from the coaches now, and, and moving forward, and split seasons, and my head was starting to explode, but I will tell you, there is something great to having the boys show up to look up and there's, you know, Trevor's on the ice with the boys. Spencer Knight is on the ice with the boys. And it's just tangible. Like they can really see. I, I mean, we know the crazy part of like You think you're infinitesimal to reach the NHL. But these are guys who did exactly what they did. And here they are on the ice sharing, uh, sharing tips with the boys. It makes it really, that's one of the, one of the real big benefits of the program is that these guys come back. They really do like to hang out with the kids and say, this was my path. So, Anyway, that's it. This does sound like great original content. I don't know, no. Andy. I'm hearing original content. Scott's pitching a show for you right now. Yeah. Bring it. Develop this is where we're going to see it. meeting next Tuesday. We're all in. Let's go. Andy, I can't. I, I can't, Andy. Tuesday's a practice day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I take it you are a hockey fan? 
Oh, man. So I, uh, I grew up in, so I knew that the Utica Comets were the devil's uh, AHL affiliate because I grew up down on the Jersey Shore and mm. my parents uh, were season ticket holders for the devils for decades. So I grew up um, in a, in a household that were rabidly passionate devils fans. That being said, most of my friends were Rangers fans or Islanders fans. And I'm like, wow, like to grow up in the New York City metropolitan area and be a hockey fan is it's amazing because you've got three teams. There's always hockey on. There's a lot of passionate discussion and banter. And uh, and so um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge hockey fan. And I think, you know, the thing that, you know, I think translates so well into what we do at ESPN for hockey is that all of us who contribute to the NHL on ESPN are all massive hockey fans behind the scenes. We've either had our kids, uh, you know, like Scott at the rinks at five o'clock in the morning, driving across state lines to compete in tournaments, or we grew up in an environment where like hockey was religion. And, um, and so I think, you know, you really, we try to make sure that the passion that we have for the sport uh, translates to the product when we, uh, when we broadcast the games and when we tell the stories around the games and when we, uh, when we invest in our studio coverage. You've been at ESPN for, for, for 30 years or so in that time. Yes. ESPN had hockey, had NHL lost NHL. Yep. How excited were you walk us through your feelings when a couple of years ago, uh, it became clear that, that the ESPN was, was going back into the hockey fold was going to have NHL games moving forward. I would do a cartwheel right now, but my camera, I don't think, would pick up uh, the, the, the wide enough lens. Uh, lens. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, Andy. <laughs> you you know the value of social media promotion. I'd like to see you try any. Let me see you try it. If yeah. you kick if you kick the glass yeah. in and your trophy case behind you, that's great social content. I, 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 uh, I, I value your audience, and I wouldn't want you guys <laughs> lose any audience. Um, listen, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, you know, my... my I worked on the NHL and ESPN when it was here uh, back in the late 90s and in the early 2000s. I used to work the 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift on a Saturday night when NHL Tonight would come on at 1.30 in the morning on ESPN. That was my that was my shift at my old job, and that was my old shift. And, that, you know, boy, right away I knew click on, you know, just put it right back on. That would take me home until it was time to get out of there. Yeah, You know, I mean, working closely with, you know, back in the day, Bill Pito, and and John Buchagras and Barry Melrose and and uh, and Steve Levy and Gary Thorne and Bill Clement and you know I mean I even remember we had Chris Berman anchoring at the Stanley Cup Finals in the early two thousands like hockey was a it was a huge deal at ESPN and when we didn't bring it back you know those of us who had contributed so much to the sport in my case for you know ten years we were devastated and um you know and you know when we got word a few years ago that we were back in the conversation and that there was a possibility that this might happen i mean i was talking uh, often with with my boss norby williamson and with mark gross who oversees our nhl coverage um, um uh, in totality um, and Mike McQuaid and, and others. And I, I was like, is this really going to happen? And we're like, it's trending in the right direction. It's trending in the right direction. And then when ultimately the deal got done, um, there were so many people in Bristol, Connecticut who were just over the moon. And, uh, and, and we were just so happy. Evan, you want Soshnik value add right here at this portion of the program? Go ahead. Not many people like he, if I know Andy giving me Trevor Zegers mid Fairfield, 
not many people can like, you know, just right away know uh, Steve Levy would be one of Oswego's finest uh, because his broadcast partner in college, you ready for this, Eben Williams? Okay. One Jay Bieberman. Now with the New York Whoa, Islanders. Oh, okay. When I was an intern at WFAN, Steve Levy had a show with Richard Neer. I believe it started at 5 a.m. and I'd come in and work <laughs> with, with, with uh, Levy and Neer in the morning. So, I mean, Steve and I always talked about hockey. So the question I have for you, Andy, is I, I love it. You love it. We understand the passion for the game. How does the NHL, how does ESPN expand the the prism of the uh, for casual sports fan I just can't figure out I really can't because once you try it live and I've heard that uh, that a million times I got it take that out of the equation though please don't give me that answer but what can what can you do what can the NHL do to grow the audience of the casual sports fan it is it is widely considered when we say the big four number four you know hardcore fans know what doesn't the rest of the party know right. why are they missing out on hockey it's a great question, Scott, because um, anytime you talk to somebody who goes to an NHL game and sees the sport play live and they see the speed and the physicality and the passion and the entertainment, um, people come away from that experience and they're like, I am so just completely blown away by how awesome hockey is live. Now, conversely, you talk to people who are NFL season ticket holders and they go to games and their experience is about the tailgating in the parking lot, the communal yeah. experience of that beforehand. But then, you know, the and I terrible. even find yeah. myself this, I'm a giant season ticket holder. And when I go to games, I find myself sometimes watching the games up on those massive monitors that they have over the end zones. Um, it's a sport that just translates so well to television and to video and hockey is just struggled with. Oh, can't see the puck. Here it comes. Can't see the puck. That's that's that's, the, that's your casual viewer. I can't find the puck. That's the feedback. Where's the puck? And, and I, 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 I and I've often and maybe it's just because we have a trained eye when we watch games and it's like you know where the puck is going to go based on yep. the movement of the skater, or the movement of the player. But um, I think the live experience again. That's not my experience, but the feedback we get from the casual fan, the data says. The puck is hard to see and it's hard to follow and, you know, and therefore it doesn't uh, translate as well to television as some of the other sports. Um, Now, listen, I think there's a lot of things that we're trying to do on the ESPN side that I think are things that distinguish our coverage from others who cover the sport. You know, and let me say, by the way, like, I think we look at this at ESPN not as we are competitive with TNT or MSG or Nesson or Rogers Sportsnet up in Canada, like we all have the same goal. We're all in this business of hockey to not acquire a certain audience and to maintain that audience. We're in the business of acquiring a product that we can grow, you know? And so when Turner has a massive amount of success with Connor Bedard's, you know, first, uh, uh, who, who, <laughs> that's right. Who? You're on the hype train too. I know. Um, <laughs> when they have a massive amount of success with the, you know, their first broadcast that they had, I think it was their, their, their highest rated NHL game ever. Um, and we had, you know, the previous night, uh, when it was, uh, uh, Connor Bedard, it was opening night and he was in Pittsburgh. We did record numbers. Like that's good for everybody. 
Like that's good for everybody. It's good for the league. It's good for Turner. It's good for ESPN. It's good for all of us. I think what we do at ESPN strategically is, and, and what my job really is, is focused on, you know, ESPN is just so heavily invested in storytelling, right? It's like, I tell people like, my job is not necessarily to document the games. My job is to tell stories about the players, the coaches, the fans, the organizations, the teams, tell the stories that make people care about the games. And so my hope is that by personalizing some of the players that we've profiled and making them relatable to the casual sports fan, that we can then potentially drive some interest in not only the player, but the team, the team into the game and drive people ultimately to the games, which is the core of our business. So on that topic, yeah. Andy, I, I'm curious. I, I have always heard from folks who are in media, in brand sponsorship, that culturally NFL, NHL players kind of think about some of the self-promotion a little bit differently than yep. other leagues. Yep. That, that it's very easy in, in other sports, let's say the NBA, to walk into a locker room and, and there's people that want to do deals. They want to do social media stuff. They want to work with league partners on exactly what you're talking about. And that the NHL, it's been a little bit harder historically to get those players to buy into those things that yeah, you're but talking about. I think about. it's against the culture of the game. Did you see um, Taylor Hall the other day, who probably one of these guys brought in to mentor Connor Bedard? Yep. And he said, well, there's too much. There's just too much interviews. There's too much. You know, they should just let them focus on hockey. I feel like saying, Taylor, shut up. P.K. Subban gets you're criticized. You're 30 years ago. Stuff, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah I, you'd love to have it where Connor, Connor Bedard could just focus on hockey. Yeah. He's the face of the game. He's got to be out front right now. So, Evan, it's a great question. And, Scott, it's a great point. And I'm going to double down on what you just said. I think the greatest challenge that we have in covering the game and in telling stories about the athletes who play in the games is exactly that. It's a cultural thing in hockey. Hockey yeah. is the ultimate team sport. And in those locker rooms, the perception is, is that when one person, okay, appeals to the media and puts themselves out there a little bit more than the rest of the locker room, you're in essence, in some ways, defying the culture and you're you're making it more about you than about the team, right? And that's why, unfortunately, you know, when you see Emily Kaplan do an intermission report interview or a post-game interview, often you'll see a player just go into that, like, mode of, like, um, yeah, it's just about, you know, getting pucks deep and chipping the puck in and getting around and getting to their defense and really putting pressure on their defense and, you know, playing as a team and play sticking to our game plan. Like, you throw every cliche, hockey cliche that there is and, like, it's, it's literally in their back pocket and ready to go. And the sad reality of it is, is that in my experience with, with being around these players, okay, when that red light on the camera is not on, it is like, these are really compelling individuals. These are smart and funny and interesting and thoughtful and insightful athletes. And then all of a sudden the red light goes on and they go into hockey locker room mode. And it's like, how do we work with the league, work with the teams and ultimately agents and, and whoever, so the Taylor Halls of the world, how do we break through that wall to get them to understand that it's okay to show a little personality? It's okay to be thoughtful. 
Go That's, look at Paul Bissonette right now. Right. The guy's become way more popular and way more powerful as a broadcaster simply by exposing personality and sort of the culture of sure. hockey than he ever could have been as a player. And he's great and for he, the game. And that's great for the game. And oh, I'm sorry, he's way, not an ESPN guy. I'm sorry. No, but that's okay. Listen, I'm a fan. And, it's, and, and he's great for the game. And it's also great all that he has provided. Um, I'm a big spit and chicklets consumer. Yep. He's provided yep. a platform for players to feel comfortable to go to him, they trust him. as a former player. Yeah, they trust him. And, and and they trust that they he will give them the platform to be honest, as we've seen with some pretty significant stories this year. And and on top of that, like also to show a little bit of personality. When that happens for him, that's good for me and it's good for all of us at ESPN. Do, do, do you kick yourself, Andy, though? Do you kick yourself? No. Like God knows you probably have a, any whiteboard session say, why didn't we think of that? No, because I think there's so many characters and so many stories within hockey. And I think, look, I think if, if a player goes to Spit and Chicklets or goes to Paul and, 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 and they're like, you know, wow, that was a great experience. I really feel empowered and I felt like I got my story out there. And oh, by the way, like that, that was a just also just a cool experience. That's good for everybody. That's good for me when I'm covering the game and telling these stories. And it's good for TNT. It's good for it's good for all of us because we're kind of all trying to accomplish the same thing with this sport. Do, do you notice a difference, Andy, um, in terms of younger stars in the league? If if they yes. are thinking about things maybe a little bit differently, Trevor Zegras, who we've mentioned, yeah. pops off to me as someone so, who definitely understands that he can have fun and, and let loose yep. in the media. And I think it's good for him. It's good for the team and it's good for the league. So, uh, so I've told this story in meetings that I've been in with the league. And I've also, um, I've shared this story internally at ESPN. The moment that was the breakthrough moment for us this time around, with having the NHL on ESPN and, you know, and realizing that, oh, wow, we're onto something here is um, the very first year we were back, which was, you know, this is our third year of, of, of the new NHL on ESPN. But in our first year, Jack Hughes of the Devils, um, he got injured early in the season. And so he was spending a lot of time at home, um, you know, recovering from his injury, rehabbing his injury. And Emily Kaplan and I were having conversations about him, you know, number one overall pick, young star, not at the rink practicing every day. Could we go route and pitch access to do a story on him? And so we, uh, the Devils and, and Pete Alberts of the Devils were like, yeah, we're all in. We, and we love Pete. We got to say, hold on. We, you gave Pete Alberts a, a shout out. You got to do that. We, we got we got to double down on, on Jake Reynolds, by the Reynolds, way. Yep. You, you need to go Farrell. to Jake's house. Yeah, Tommy Fitzgerald, you need to go to Jake's house and check out his sneaker collection next time you do a Devils game. Oh, great little behind the scenes. Pro- it, 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 trust me, people would be like, wait a minute, this hockey guy right, has see, this joint. So you got to go see it. You see this, Evan? I've come on this podcast and already in 20 minutes, I've got two great story ideas. So I'm writing down Jake Reynolds' sneaker feature right now for one of our. Emily, call Jake, get to closet. There we go. <laughs> um, that was a breakthrough for us because uh, when Pete said yes and we sent Emily and a producer down to Hoboken in Jersey City, um, I mean, I've covered the NFL, I've covered the NBA, I've covered Major League Baseball. Like, we sent a camera crew down there and, like, Jack was living with a player named Ty Smith uh, who was a defenseman with the Devils at the time. We showed up. Jack was on his way back from the rink where he had done his rehab. Ty... In, let, let Emily and our crew into the apartment. This is at like 11 o'clock in the morning. 
we were there to like eight or nine o'clock that night. We had like 10 hours of access. And as Emily interviewed Jack, she got the realization that he was part of this younger group of upcoming superstars who were unapologetic about wanting to break through the hockey locker room culture that, you know, it was going to be okay to score a goal and throw your stick in the stands for a fan. It was going to be okay to, to, to do a, you know, a, a Michigan style uh, assist from behind the net and not suffer consequences or care about the consequences that you might, might be exposed to on your next shift. And so the fact that this was sort of this brash, like young, like hip superstar uh, pack, if you will, I'd have Cole Caulfield to that to that equation as well. It, we were like, wow, we might be onto something here in that these young superstars are the future like of the game. They're going to be the players that are going to be most relevant at the end of our contract here in, in five or six years, um, you know, versus the Ovechkins and Crosbys who may or may not be playing at that time. Let's make this investment, but also let's make this investment in what they're selling us about like we're going to bring personality to the game. We're going to we're going to use the word heater in a in a you know to describe a nine game winning streak in a locker room afterwards. Like, and the my six year old sees Jack Hughes, and it's like anything Jack Hughes or Trevor Zegras does over the moon. Like that's who they're interested in, and I think we're onto something there. Somewhere, John Tortorella been... is, uh, is is screaming oh, at his, uh, <laughs> screaming at his the, the grumble torts, the grumble torts. Yeah, Evan, I'm a little concerned. I was at the game where Jack chucks his stick into the into the crowd. Hmm. I'm starting to think it might have been contrived. Uh oh. Mm. Like I thought it was just a you know a, a spur of the moment reaction. I think he's like you know if I score this big goal, I'm going to do something here like this. Let me ask you this then, though, Andy, uh, fighting in hockey. You, I, I agree with you. I, I love bigger ice. I love seeing the sizzle of, of, of a Zegras and a Michigan and Jack. And, um, I, and I've heard it all. I've heard it a million times that, you know, they got to police the game. And, the, you know, if they, if they don't use their fists, they use their sticks. And I'm like, wait a minute. Come on. You mean to tell me, you're really telling me that these players don't have enough self-control that they're going to use their stick if they can't beat the bejesus out of somebody with, yeah. you know, give me more skill, give me more speed, give me more size. I don't think the core hockey fan abandons the game, but you do win new fans. I just don't think that where the game is headed, what people want anymore. I just think that fighting has outlived its usefulness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting trend in the game, right? Like, you know, where the game was even 10, 15 years ago versus where it is now. Now, you mentioned Torts. He's a, he happens to be a good friend of mine. We, we were fortunate enough to have him at ESPN um, for, for a full year. Uh, I think we all knew at some point the coaching thing was going to happen, and it did. And we're all incredibly happy for him. I, stay, I still talk to him time and, the, uh, time and again. Um, I will say this, you know, he's about as old school as it gets, right? Like here's a guy who's like, you know, like, you know, if, if his players aren't out there and, you know, blocking shots and being tough and being run into the ground, like, like that's, that's like who he is. But it's funny. Like there was no greater audience for these features that we were doing on Trevor Zegris, Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, then torts. And like hmm. afterwards I would go to him in the studio and I'd be like, Oh, you must've hated that. He goes, no, I loved it. He's like, the game needs more of that. Even he acknowledged Then promote it, man. Yeah. I mean, why does that come as a surprise? Why doesn't he celebrate it publicly as a coach? 
Because everything he does would make me, as young player, fan, think, nope, it's that, that culture, old culture of the game. When Zegras scored dude. that lacrosse, that Michigan lacrosse goal, I remember Torts was one of the loudest NHL establishment voices yeah. that were that were downplaying it or, or even criticizing it. You got to go public with it, my man. It, it was, uh, and when he did that, you know, there was 50% who were like, he's right. And there was 50% like he's, the game has passed him by. You know, look, I, I, I think it's always, first of all, it's good to have an opinion. Like it was always great about torts because you were like, all right, he's not going to sugarcoat anything. He's going to come out and he's going to say it as it is. And I think that's what made him great at what he did on TV. I mean, he hated me because I'd have him read like chicken parm tweets on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Mark Schumann is the producer. Like, he now, do you think we could get him to do it? You think we can get him to do it? And he was a great sport about it in the beginning. And then by the end, he's like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, you know, um, listen, to get back to Scott, your point, I think fighting will always have a place in the game. I actually think it's good for the game. It's it, it just shows like it's an aggressive game. It's a it, you know, it's a passionate game. Like, I don't know you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm last night. You know, it was amazing. Like, you know. Seattle's playing Colorado, okay? And it's like last year, Jordan Eberle, you know, takes out one of Colorado's top players, right? And last night, first shift, Eberle's out there, drop, they go right after him, right? I think that makes the game great. And I always think it's a, there's a place for it in the game. That being said, like, I think you're right. Like, if, if, if it used to be 50-50, physicality, and fighting versus skill, it's now 70, it's, it's actually probably 80, 20, 90, 10 now. And so I feel like it's certainly trending in that direction, but I do think, I don't think it can be zero. I think fighting will always be a part of the game and should be a part of the game. Look at Eben Novi Williams like shifting on the fly here because he got thrown out of a conference room. I love it. I love it. But this is, this is fine. We're, we're, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Watch, he's going to trip and drop something. Got here. a line change. But here. Here's the secret sauce, Andy, and, and I'm wondering how you make this happen with the power of Disney behind you at ESPN. How do you get Travis and Taylor into the building? Which, you know, the, the Kelsey Swift thing for the NFL, like, come on. The NFL doesn't need this. The NHL needs, needs Taylor Swift. Can't, can't she date Austin Matthews or, or somebody? Like, what? Come on. Have you ever seen anything like this, though? I'm serious. Just, just from, from a... A, 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 a total pop culture, two audiences that seemingly have nothing to do with each other intersecting th this whole Taylor Swift NFL thing from a original content VP executive. You know, how, how does how does that hit you? I, I just envy it because like, yeah, you envy it. I envy it because honestly, like so much of my responsibility is trying to figure out a way to for the game to appeal to new audiences and I know how hard the team that I work on works at that for the game of hockey. And to watch the NFL literally in the snap of a finger and in one shot in a, in a luxury box in Kansas City, all of a sudden appeal to millions of fans that they may not have been appealing to prior to that moment is something that is just utterly remarkable. It's a millionaire winning the lottery. It is. A, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you could spend years. It's a billionaire winning the lottery. Yeah. And by the way, like, you know, um, like the NHL has had situations where like high profile players have dated high profile yeah. celebrities. Um, you know, Mike Fisher, you know, in Nashville. 
um, yep. is, is a classic example. Like Carrie Underwood? Carrie Underwood, right? right? Look at that. Look at me getting on entertainment tonight. Who dated Anna Kornikova? Was it Sergei Fedorov? And Pavel Bure, right? Pa- like, Pavel you know, Bure. Way, way back in the day, Ron Greshner and Carol Alt. Like, you Carol know, Alt, so, if, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do think that those, um, those relationships have been there. But when it comes to Taylor Swift, it's just, it's just something that none of us can comprehend, like that level. And uh, good for the NFL, good for sports, good for the Swifties. You know, I've got, well, it's not a Swiftie band, but I've got a band. I, I just, I, it is so, such an envious thing because like, I know how much time we put into that. And literally, this was gift wrapped to the to the NFL and the and all of the broadcast partners of the NFL. By the way, us included. Andy, before we let you go, I, I want to talk about Bedard for a second. Yeah. Um, a, a, a nice gift for everybody involved in the NHL that that a potential yeah. generational talent is joining. How do you guys think about how much Bedard to do? There's probably NHL fans that want all the Bedard all the time. There's obviously already been a little bit of pushback on that, as we've discussed. But when you have something like that, how do you guys balance how many games you want, how much you want to talk about him, how much original programming around him you want to do? There's no balance um, as much as you can get. I'm answering is the that question. Is that true? Yeah, maybe as that's much the, as you can the get. Look at those Emmys behind possible. him. He's smiling. As much as you can get. I, I'm all in. I'm, I mean, I'm all in. There you, you know, go. I, I, uh, I think he is such a generational talent and he's someone that you know to take it back to the beginning of this conversation when scott's talking about you know getting up at five o'clock in the morning and driving to the rink like you see this 18 year old right and i immediately think about his dad and him you know 10 years ago just 10 years ago like at that age going to these rinks you know in, in you know he's from vancouver so out in the pacific northwest and 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 you know the amount of work that he put in like I just, I can't get enough Connor Bedard. And I'm so thrilled that to see that he is resonating as much as he is, because look, you know, I'll even, I'll use what we, what we're talking about in terms of growing the game. Like last February and January, I was in meetings with Emily Kaplan and our production team. And we were like, you know, we got to do something with this kid. He is the next big thing. And here we are in January of 2023. And like, not a lot of people know anything about him. They just heard of him or they've seen the highlights on YouTube, like, let's go in and tell the story of, like, who this kid is and who's the kid behind and the family behind and these highlights. Th- the beauty is, Andy, that anybody who's into hockey understands the lineage. Uh, I don't, it might have been your air. I really don't remember, but I absolutely love the Bedard piece where somebody went and talked to the next door neighbor yeah. and said, Yeah, you see the holes in my fence? Yeah. That's when Connor missed the net. That's exactly anybody right. Anybody who has a kid playing hockey, immediately understands what that means. We've all been there. So so we send Emily to Saskatchewan in the middle of March last year to interview him and to spend some time with him. And, you know, we told this story, uh, I don't know, it was probably like, when we're doing features, by the way, we're not doing like one and two minutes on these guys. Like this is a 12 to 14 minute piece. And I showed my son this because I was like, watch this kid. There was a, a, a part of his story when he was growing up, he broke his arm and he couldn't put two hands on the stick. So he went into the backyard and he learned how to shoot the puck, to, to, to curl it, drag it and, and fire it with one arm. And so when people look now at how, at how ridiculous his shot is from the slot, 
they, I immediately am like, oh my God, I'm just seeing this kid in his backyard putting dents in his neighbor's fence because he just was out there every single night with one hand on the stick, firing the puck, firing the puck, firing the puck, yeah. firing the puck. And, and it's like, I, I, I had my, my son watching this and I'm like, see, this is the commitment you have to make if you want to be as great as he is. And oh, by the way, Ooh, that that to me, that's Andy getting into a little bit of the crazy dad there. Good for you. Well, and also, by the way, <laughs> like the, the craziness, too, is like as we sit here, you know, in October, November, like like we do a, a 14 to 16 minute hockey piece and we put it up on our YouTube page and it's like 750,000 people have watched it. OK. And oh, by the way, we did record ratings for the NHL draft record ratings for his first game in the NHL, which was on our air. And like. I like to think, okay, that investing in that story, investing in making, you know, informing our audience and entertaining our audience on who this kid is helps drive some interest into something like the NHL draft, which is, you know, three and a half hours of names being called, but it's not, it's not an action packed event. Right. And also, by the way, opening night, it's like, it's the first game of 82. How much does it really matter? Well, 1.4 million thought it mattered a lot. Yeah, well, I think you got a great opportunity with sort of the in-game audio. Um, we, we saw a snippet of that and involved Bedard where he was getting ready for a face-off with Sidney Crosby. And there, he said, man, I haven't won one all night. And, you know, the linesman steps in. He's like, well, you know, you're going against 87. Exactly. <laughs> you, you know, it, I mean, but that, I mean, that caught fire. That was a moment because you saw who the kid was and when my son is playing i see all the my son's a goaltender and Oof. you see him yapping with the re- oh, wait, oh it's terrible i know but you see him yapping with the referees and and my wife sits next to me she's like what are they talking right. about what could they possibly be talking about right and I, I think it's a really it's a way to get people closer to the game and underutilized baseball had one the other day where the guy made a play and he and he said to the broadcasters hold on let me just make this play and i'll get back he's throwing the ball as he's speaking in yeah. a regular season game I, I, but those things work. I don't think people can get enough of that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, like that's Mike McQuaid and Linda Schultz and people on our event production who drive that. And it's also, honestly, it's Colin Campbell and, and Gary Bettman and Steve Mayer and all of our partners at the NHL giving us the permission and the access to do that. Like, that's the thing about this partnership. It's like, it's not just ESPN. We don't get to just go in there and put mics on people and say, oh, we're going to broadcast this whenever we want. The league, they're great partners and they understand what we're trying to do and they're allies, you know, and 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 such great ambassadors for us in, in trying to do what we do to grow the game. I don't know, Evan, you know, we're 36 minutes in before we had a Batman reference and, you know, he did take the game to NBC Sports Network. That's all I'm saying. He's back. He came back. I'm still chipping away at the (laughs) ultimate Gary Bettman, you know, I mean, the guy has been he's the longest tenured commissioner that's out there. And I've always just been obsessed with the fact that there's no figure in sports who's booed publicly more than Gary Bettman. And so I'm so fascinated by that. And I'm 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 we're, we're chipping away at a potential, you know, profile at some point he would well he would be the torts of commissioners if you would he would be the torts of commissioners he's there's that grump there's that grumble and i like gary i've known him for a long time yeah. he's, he got a little grumble in him I, he's crotchety crotchety if you will he's got a great sense of humor i'll say that he's he got does. a great great sense of humor he's a very funny guy and he's a great partner we don't usually go this long, Andy, but, you know, I can do youth hockey hockey forever and we don't do it that often. So this was a real treat for me because it, this is what I, I'd love to talk about. Uh, I bring in my second job to my core job and this is just easy stuff. Evan, anything you want to close with? 
I like. I love that he's got the mute button on because he's in a place where it's location. really loud. He's working overtime. I actually did. I had, I had one. I had one more question for you, Andy. Um, the the sit down that that Connor and Sydney did as part of promotion for mm-hmm. that first game. Uh, were you involved in that at all? Was that I was, was, yeah. was that with, your idea? With, with, uh, the, it was. Uh, it was our ESPN marketing team's idea. I was involved gotcha. in working with the league to make it happen. God, that's the kind of example to, to, to kind of put a bow on this conversation. The kind of things I think we want more of, right? The idea of, of just seeing these two generational talents, one who could very well be the other one in, in 20 years, um, sitting there and, and, and talking. I love that they were in their uniforms in kind of a locker room setting. But it, it's Stories, stuff like that, man. I think, outside of just the, well, and, the games and, and, that, and, that are – that's my takeaway here as well. Well, listen, Evan, I mean, listen, I don't know that a lot of people know this or that your audience – or I don't even know that our audience knows this, but every year – the NHL puts on this event. Uh, it's it's a different location for the most part every year where, you know, they get a facility, you know, a nice rink facility in some location, and 40 of the top players in the league descend upon this location. And we do this sort of circuit car wash where we get sit-down interviews, we get to do creative with them on the ice. I mean... I, I was fortunate enough to like one of the things we do on the ice with players is this demo station where we have a goalie or we have Blake Bolden, you know, who used to pl- who played at the highest levels of women's hockey. And we have Sidney Crosby demonstrate puck possession or we'll have Connor Bedard, you know, shoot from the slot or we'll have players do breakaways. And I got to be honest with you, like the league every year we have this event. It is the single handedly in my 28 years at ESPN the greatest content capture that's out there. No other league does this. It's an amazing, amazing experience. And so at that event is where we were, because Bedard and Crosby were there, because that's part of who comes to this event, uh, we worked with the league to get them together. And that's why you got to see what you got to see is because the league, the league is so cooperative with things like that. All right, I'm lying. I got one more for you, just an idea, because I've seen it happen. And I think it has wide appeal and people love it. Have the current stars talk with when i say kids 15 16 i have witnessed my son sitting and having goaltender conversations with martin brodeur with carrie price you know because um uh some of the former coaches at mid fairfield went on to coach the montreal Canadiens. so (laughs) we we, we, as you might know so we we have some entree people and he's lucky to be my son and you know he gets to have some of the entree I do. Um, And to watch an NHL star talk with a 14-year-old who is wide-eyed and optimistic, but the conversations, once it gets to the game, are so real. Like my kid was trying to digest Martin Brodeur telling him that what makes one goalie better from the next is the processor up here. There's no reaction time. It's, do you recognize that this is a right-hander? Do you recognize that his skates are turned so it's going to be a one-timer? You must slide across. And you hear 14-year-old and NHL All-Star having this conversation. Unbelievable content. And it's real. The the NHL All-Star wants to talk to that kid, and the kid wants to talk to the older guy, and and they share that bond of the game. It just it transcends the time of the game. Uh, I, I just think it's kind of stuff that people would like to peek in on, if you would. I love these ideas. Keep them coming. I uh, I got a million. I, I, I got a million. I, I, but I'm se- I'm sending you the sizzle reel, my man. You're gonna love this thing I got it. going. You know, Marty Marty Berdour was just uh, he was a 
he was an extraordinary individual because I remember when we had the hockey contract 20 years ago, you know, whether it was game two or 43 of the regular season or game seven of the Stanley cup finals, he stood there. He talked like he was the only goalie in the league who spoke to the media on the day of a game and had like, didn't, it was almost like yep. nothing phased him. And I remember in, um, it was in, I think it was in either 2000 or 2000, it was 2003 when they were playing Anaheim in the, in the cup final, the day of game seven, he's standing in the locker room and he's answering every single question from every single media member. And you're just yeah. like, Oh my God, like, do you realize what's at stake tonight? And it was like, it, it didn't phase him. He was, he was level headed and he, he was so cerebral about everything. And so it's really cool that your son got that experience. Cause oh, yeah. do you, have you heard of the brick tournament, Andy? Do you know about the oh, brick yeah, tournament? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my, my son was part of the kinetic junior ranger team that won the brick okay. a few Congrats. years ago. Yep. I think they, they won three in a row eventually, but it was the first American team to win in 20 plus years. Yep. And as you know, when you go down to the locker rooms at the, at the West Edmonton mall, there's every player who has and these are 10 year olds but to show you that continuum of the game and this is something you guys again you may want to show the world every player who's participated in the brick has his name on the wall outside the locker rooms the ones that are in red have reached the nhl and it is a i'll tell you it's i mean as a projection of percentage of you know 10 year olds it's a pretty interesting amount of players who played in this 10 year old tournament that made it to the NHL, and then like Pareko comes back, and he's got the Stanley Cup in the locker room with the boys, and they go right back to being ten year olds. No doubt, it, it it is an unbelievable thing to see. But that is one of the cool. And I again, I've done this for three plus decades, as you have. It is one of the coolest things I saw. The one time that parents are allowed down in the locker room area at the brick is before the tournament starts. You go down, you can see this wall. You're like, that is so cool. And then it's like, all right, parents, get the hell out of here. This is the kid's right. space. It's for them and them only. Fantastic what's, stuff. What's your son's name? His name is Jackson. Okay, so we'll just make sure that when Jackson's playing in the NHL in a few years, he gives me access and we get to tell the story and you're, you're going to play the role of hockey dad, so... I would like to be interviewed for that as well. All right, I you're in. Along for this ride for a long time. <laughs> outside voices. I mean, we need outside voices and features. You got. And, and by the way, I feel I feel remiss. I should. I've already talked about Pete Beats. I've talked about Jake Reynolds. We should say, at least on the personal level, it is uh, Lara Toscani Weems who helps us out tremendously yeah. when we go down there. Yep. She does such a great job, and she's got videos of my son talking to players that I don't even knew happened. And she's like, "This was so cool. I saw it happening, so I took the video. Just, just great stuff." So, oh, as always, thanks for her, and thanks to you, Andy, because. This is way longer than we ever go, but for me, it feels way shorter. <laughs> like, like I could do this forever. So, uh, let's send the Zamboni out there to uh, cut the ice, and we'll, we'll get you on the flip side. <laughs> All right, uh, listen, guys, thanks for having me on. It was great to meet you, and uh, always great to talk pucks. Thanks, thanks Andy. All the best. Thanks. All right, Evan, you know how much fun I had there with Andy Tennant. I, I don't usually go too much you into the focus group there, of one, yeah. you know, and, and who, he's, who he's met and what he's done. But I think it's important for hockey to understand the culture of the game that, that casual sports fans, they just don't know these things. They don't know you don't step on the logo in the middle of the locker room. They don't know when you're playing shinny that you throw the sticks in the middle and somebody picks and they have no idea which player that is. You just know whose stick it is and you get that player. There's things like that, that that every hockey player, people who grew up in the game, they just know that it's part of the fabric of the game. And when outsiders learn of this stuff, I think they find it really cool and want to learn more. 
And, and he the, the the point he made about how hockey players are, are really fun, except when the red light of the yep. camera is on, um, that that hit home for me. I, I the time that I spent kind of covering the Rangers and, and the Devils a little bit, going into those those locker rooms was very fun. Um, but as soon as the interview started, I do remember that you know everybody clammed up a bit, and that's a lesson I think for for every league, for every athlete uh, about how to balance those two things. And then lastly, Scott, I thought the conversation about Taylor Swift was so fun. It, it's interesting to He's see jealous. people in other parts of this industry yep. just say of all the leagues that had to have this this gift wrapped uh, content machine fall into its lap, uh, the NFL, of course, would be the one to have it. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe Connor Bedard at some point in, in the future will be dating a, uh, a a future pop star, and, and maybe that will happen for the NHL as well. I love it. All right, close it out, my man. Special thank you to Andy Tennant. He is the executive vice president and he is the vice president and executive producer, sorry, of original content at ESPN. For Scott Soshnick, you can find him on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Show is produced by Aaron Greenewald, who has to do a little bit of extra work this time. <laughs> but thank you to Aaron. Uh, and Cora Veltman, Sportico's digital media editor, would like you to know that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.